This morning, we finish up our series in Love Does. Hopefully, it's been a good journey for you as we try to fall in love with our Savior and love those around us, and the world will know we are Christians by our love for one another. All of our reading that we've done, all of our studying has come from God's Word. And if you're a regular at Grace, and if it's your first time, you'll soon find out that we use the the Word of God, because we believe it's inspired Word of God that He left for us. And it, it's good for rebuking, correcting, it's good for encouraging. And today, we're going to dig in again today because this is God's message to us. This is our hope. This is where we find information to make it through life, be encouraged, challenge, and sharpen each other. And in doing so, we become more like Christ. I have a question for you today as we open up this message today. If someone were to ask you, to explain how we got God's word today, what might you say? What might be your answer to them that this is how it came? And if they ask this question, how do you know this is God's word? How do you know it's just not another good book that was written by a collection of men that God gathered and put together, and, and they were good men, but it's not God's word? How do we know, like, this is the book that God wanted to leave us? How would you answer that question? Could you go and say, well, I know it's God's word because of this and this and this and this. And I believe it's God's word because of this and this and this. Or do you really believe it's God's word? Or do you believe it because your father, your mother told you or you've been gone to church since you've been small and you always open up the Bible and you read God's word and you've memorized scripture and, and it's impacted your life. And, but is it really God's word? Do you have enough evidence in your understanding of God's word that you could say, Here's why I know this is God's word. I believe this because of this, and I believe it because of this. I think it's important if we fall in love with the author of the book, and we should, God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, that we know the letter that he left us is his recorded word for us. And so today, we're going to go on a journey, and hopefully by the end of this journey, not only will you find that this is God's word, but you'll also find that This was set aside for us from God. And that he took men that were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the book that you hold today, whether it's on your mobile device or in your hand, is the very book from God to us. You see, what has happened, if we're not careful, is is that we just place this book amongst other books and we place the value in the same place. There have been many people who have talked about the Word of God, and here's just a few quotes from people along the way referring to the Bible. Abraham Lincoln said this about God's Word. He said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated through us through this book. Ronald Reagan said this, Within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. Dwight Moody said this, The Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. Billy Sunday said this, The reason you don't like the Bible, you old sinner, is because it knows all about you. James Merritt said this about the Bible, The primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. George Washington Carver said this, The secret of my success, it is simple. It is found in the Bible. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. George MacDonald said this about the Bible. The Bible is to me the most precious thing in the world just because it tells me the story of Jesus. 
on your phone, as on my phone. I don't keep my phone with me. I don't want to be distracted during Sunday morning. But on my phone and on your phone, most likely is an app. And on my phone is the version app. And alongside of that, you'll find other apps. You'll find ESPN. You'll find other apps. And maybe on your phone, you'll find the Kindle or the Google or the, the weather app. And my question is this. Are those apps just as valuable to you as the Bible app is? Do you find yourself going there more than you do to the Bible? And when we read God's word, do we read it as if it is God's spoken word? Do you believe that these are the very books that God wanted to hand to us? About 10 years ago, we had, I was part of a missions trip team here from Grace. Actually led a team to China. We smuggled Bibles from Hong Kong into China. And so each morning we would get up in Hong Kong and we would pack our backpacks full of Bibles, Chinese Bibles, to underground churches in China. And so we would pack up our Bibles and we would pray and we'd say, God, protect us. And we would, we would walk down the street and we would get on a train and we'd take this train to the border of Hong Kong and China. And we would stand in line and we would separate because we didn't want for authorities to know that we were together. And so we'd walk up to the counter at the border and they would stamp our... our <clears throat> our pass, and they would let us know where we're, ask us what we're doing, where we're going. And so we would put our passport up there, and then we had to walk through this gauntlet, we called it, because it was a scanning process where there were authorities with with AK-47s, and they would look at you, and they would selectively pick people, and then if they picked you, you had to take your bag and put it on a scanner and run through a scanner, and hopefully you would make it through and get to the other side. Once you got through the other side, you would find yourself in China, in Shenzhen, and you wouldn't allow yourself to walk with another teammate because you didn't want to be seen together. And we walked down the street, and we found a hotel, and on the fifth or sixth floor of this hotel, we took an elevator up. I just remember walking down this dark hallway with these mahogany doors, and down at the end of this hallway, you'd knock at the door. And on the other end of this door was a Chinese man who spoke only Chinese, And you would walk in there and you would take off your backpack and you would immediately pull out the Bibles and he would immediately pack them into boxes to be ready to be shipped to underground churches. Something happened in my heart during that trip for the word of God. I found a greater appreciation and love for the word of God. And one of the nights we were invited to an underground church, which was meeting in China. And I had the privilege to be able to preach in this underground church. Our team was ready to go. We didn't know exactly where the location was because they moved from point A to point P to, to C to D so the authorities can't catch them. Because if they have a Bible in their hand, it is a capital offense in China. And they could be locked up forever. So a Bible is really important to them. That night, we, we got in our vehicles, and we found ourselves on this college campus, and we walked into this room, and there were these Chinese believers. Many of them had just received a Chinese Bible for the very first time. You should have seen them hold that precious word of God. As we walked into this room, I just began to weep. The presence of God was so heavy in that room with these believers who were hungry reading God's word. And many Chinese believers, they'll have a page and they'll read that one page of scripture so many times that it wears thin. And they'll carry partial uh, Bibles in their hands because they've been handed down to them. And as we were in that room and the Bibles were in them, and as I stood up to preach, I could hardly speak because I saw the love that these believers had for God and his word. I wonder if we do. 
I wonder if we've let other books, other readings, blogs, videos, vlogs, all the, all the above, replace what is the most precious book ever given to man, the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, just listen to this. Hebrews chapter 4, the author of Hebrews says this in regards to the Bible itself. Hebrews chapter 4 says this regarding the Word of God. Just listen to these words. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book that you and I have, the Word of God, 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, is living and active. And every time that you and I read it, it breathes life into us. You will not find that in any other reading. This is God's spoken, inspired word. Today, my hope is this. My hope is you walk away with a greater appreciation, and not only a greater appreciation, but a love, and you will see that God went through a lot to get us his word today. Are you ready to go on the journey? Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles today, and I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, please, please, Grab one from the ushers. I want you to have a Bible in your hand today. Don't share with your wife or husband or boyfriend or girlfriend. Just hold your hand up and and, and go on this journey with me today. And we're going to see, and we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 4. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 4. So please, take a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, take it home. It's a gift to you from Grace Community Church. And when you find Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, would you stand with me? We're going to read this together. So encourage you, have your own Bible. Open up your mobile device and read Hebrews chapter 4. And let's look at verse 12. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You may have a seat. Jesus said these words. Now listen to these words that Jesus said. One day he was traveling along the road, and he says these words to the words of people who were following, many followers. He said this, heaven and earth will pass away. Matthew 13, 31. But the word of God will continue forever and never pass away. The word of God will never pass away. So how do we get this book? How do we, how do we know it's true? How do we know it's from God? How did it come together? We're about to go on a journey. Was it resisted? Were there times that it almost didn't make it? What's the purpose of the book that we have today? Let's begin by thinking this. It began, it took 1,500 years years for the Bible to collection of writings for it to be formed. From the time of Moses, when he began to write, Moses wrote in in roughly the time period of 1405 BC. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Would you turn there? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Please, please turn there. Just please. You have a Bible? I want you to follow along. I want you to find it for yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. From the time of Moses to the time of John in Revelation. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 31 in verse 9. So Moses did this to the law. What's it say? Wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests 
who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Look again at verse 9. So Moses wrote down this law. Moses wrote down this law. And it goes to the book of Revelation. Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, 95 AD. John wrote in 95 AD the book of Revelation. So from 1405 BC roughly to 95 AD, approximately 1500 years, 40 human writers and God compose, as we know, the Bible. So if you were to go to see who are the authors of the Bible, who wrote the book, 40 different authors wrote from Genesis to Revelation. 40 different authors. Now, there are two primary passages in Scripture that every student of God's Word, we should have underlined, we should have highlighted in your mobile device, because these two passages are the hinge to which show us that it's God's Word inspired, and it was written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's find these two passages. These are primary passages to defend the writing of the Bible. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Please turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16. We'll read both of them. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. Look at verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul, who wrote this letter to Timothy, said this, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says this, All what, what's the word? Scripture, that's the word of God, is what breathed? What's it say? God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed. It's inspired. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So how much of Scripture is God-breathed? All of it is. And then it says this. Turn, keep looking towards the back and go to 2 Peter chapter 1. These two passages, please highlight, underline, memorize. These are great, great passages. Someone asks you, how do you know it's the Word of God? 2 Peter chapter 1, and look at verse 20 and 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 20 and 21. Look what Peter said here. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, the Bible, came about by the prophet's own what of things? So pause there. This is important. There's not one passage of Scripture that's written by man's own interpretation. Like he didn't do it alone. Like he say, hey, this is the book of Jim. This is what I think about God. This is what I think. So there's not one passage in the Bible that was done by a prophet's own interpretation. But it says this in 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from whom? What does it say? God, as they were carried along by whom? Holy Spirit. So here's the picture. All scripture is God-breathed. It's God's word spoken. Writers came along. They were carried by God. They got a word from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when the authors, 40 authors of the book wrote, it was inspired, breathed by God, 
through them, and they didn't do it on their own interpretation. It came from God to them, and the Holy Spirit said, write this, write this, write this, write this, write this. But how do we know that these are the books that the Holy Spirit wrote? We're going to look at that in a second. So Moses, most likely, how did he write? Someone asked you this. Moses, he wasn't around Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Like, how do we know what Moses wrote then is true? Like, where did he get that information? Like, that's a long time away till he was born. How did Moses write about the creation account? You see, during his time and during the time before him, there was a thing called oil tradition. People would share the stories, and the Jewish students and the rabbis who were studying would memorize this. And so there were patriarchal rulers way before Moses that he was able to gather and glean information that they wrote on scrolls regarding the first five books and the creation account. So he gathered that information while he was wandering through the wilderness, and he began to write the first five books of the Old Testament, which are called the Torah or the Torah or the Pentateuch, which means five. Moses wrote these accounts while he was out and about, and he wrote them in Hebrew. Now, let me give you a walk, an important walk today. The Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, the original language is Hebrew. And so if you were to go to get an early scroll that was written during this time, it would have been written in Hebrew. In fact, this is a Hebrew Bible. It's mine. The Hebrew Bible actually opens from the back. It goes from Genesis to Malachi, from back to front. And you actually read the pages from this side to this side, just the opposite. And so this is a Hebrew Bible where you and I now have an English translation of the Old Testament. So it began in Hebrew, and it was passed on to us from many, many authors. Now, how do we know that Moses wrote it? The Bible speaks for itself. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Sounds good, Pastor Jim, but show me in Scripture. Let Scripture prove itself. Well, let me show you. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, first book of the Bible, it says this, this is the what of heavens, what's the word? Account. And earth, when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. There was an account that Moses received and he wrote it down. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1 of Genesis. Once again, Moses wrote the first five books. Look what he says in verse, chapter 5 and verse 1. This is the what account? written account of Adam's family line. It was written. Look at chapter 10 and verse 1. Moses says this. This is the what of Shem. What's it say? Account of Shem, Ham, Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. He wasn't around during the flood. This is the account that I received. I got it from the patriarchal rulers. There were tablets during that day, clay tablets. I read, this is what I read. This is what I know. This is what was passed down. This is what I wrote. And so he began to write 
the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament has various authors. One of the things that's unfortunate in our society today is that we've lost the opportunity, or I would even say, because of an advance of technology, is the use of a study Bible. Now, this is, this is a weapon. <laughs> I mean, you, you can knock someone out with this thing. But because of convenience, and I understand, nothing wrong, I have a mobile device too, we no longer buy things that are big and have to carry around. And this Bible is a study Bible. And one of the beauties of a study Bible, every student of God should have a study Bible. Every one of us that are Christ followers should have study Bibles. Because the study Bible gives you an opportunity. You can go to the front of every book, and you can find out who the author is. You can find out the location. You can find out when it was written. And it's valuable information that a study Bible offers you. You can walk to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and see immediately who wrote the book. You can go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see who wrote the book. So you have Old Testament and you have New Testament. The New Testament was written in a completely different language. It's written in Greek. The Bible that you and I use today, the NIV, is written from the Maccabean text. It's a UBS, this is a third edition Greek translation. And so if you were able to walk up here, you would see that it has from Matthew to Revelation. And you would see the word of God clearly written in Greek. And the Bible that you and I have today is written in Greek. Here's another Greek text, same thing. This is the Bible that we have. 27 books of the New Testament. Because during the time of Christ, the Bible was written in Greek and Aramaic. And we have a translation today that comes from the time of Christ, the same context. Now let's just begin with the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, what? Okay, everyone together, ready? They're called the Gospels. Have you ever wondered why, when the four authors write about the Gospel of Christ, that there appears, and there isn't, contradictions? Have you ever wondered why John writes this, and Luke writes that, and Mark wrote this, and Why didn't they write the same thing? Shouldn't God's word all be the same? Like, shouldn't every book, if it's a gospel account of Jesus, be the same? How can there be one angel here, many angels there, many witnesses there, and a few witnesses there? How is that possible? Let me show you how that happens. Suppose, after you leave today's service, we gave you an assignment, and we said this. Next Sunday, I want you to write an account of today's service. From the moment you walked in the door to the moment you left the door. And I want everyone to write it. And then next week, we had you all come up and read them. How different would they be? It's because your personality and your grid and what you saw, while you experienced the same room, the same church, similar people, what you saw and what you remembered is different. It doesn't mean that you weren't there, and it doesn't mean it wasn't truth. Now, when you read the Gospels in the New Testament, God used the personalities of the authors carried by the Holy Spirit to write the New Testament. In fact, 
the book of Matthew was written by a man who was a tax collector. Now, it'd be like our son, Josh, who's a CPA and accountant, writing his rendition of today's service. Matthew used lots of numbers. When you read Matthew, you'll see number after number after number after number. You will see accounts where he remembers, he sees. He runs it and sees it through the mind of an accountant. And so when you read his book, like when I read it, if you just began to read Matthew's gospel and you didn't tell me you're Matthew, I say, Matthew, 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 Matthew. Why? Because his personality and his skill and his work was numbers. Mark, on the other hand, his book, the gospel account, was chosen and written because he was a close friend of Peter, and a lot of his writings were messages that Peter preached. So if you read Mark, you will say, why does he keep talking about Pete? How does he remember that? Luke, on the other hand, most of you knew this, but some of you don't, was written by a doctor. Luke was a doctor. That's why his book, by the way, they probably couldn't read his handwriting when he wrote it anyhow. But it was written by a doctor. And so if you look at Luke, the gospel, I love reading it. You know why? He talks about hands and healings and limbs. And he, gives, he goes into detail what they, they put mud on the eye and they spit. And he's a doctor. He's looking from the lenses of a doctor. It's all truth, but he runs his personality carried by the Holy Spirit to write. John, on the other hand, I love John. Because the book of John says that John was the disciple that Jesus loved. And there is no doubt in my mind, when you read the Gospel of John, it's the only Gospel that gives the seven references that Christ is deity. Over and over he says, he's the one, he's the way, he's deity, he's God. Why? Because if you're a close friend of someone, there's no doubt in my mind that John and Jesus had these conversations that the 11 disciples didn't have. And he got to see the heart of Jesus. And Jesus would tell him things. And and they would spend time together because he loved his disciple. And he got to know the heart of Jesus. And he's saying to you and me when we read it, he's the real deal. I've been alone with him. And I've seen him operate. And I watched him when, when people criticized him. And I watched him not bring attention to himself. And he is the real deal. So the gospels are all written through the lenses and personalities of different men. So where did they get that information? How did they know? I mean, were they all there? Were they, like every story they wrote about Jesus, were they all there? I mean, they had to travel some ground to be all those places, didn't he? Well, let's just see what the Bible says. Turn to the book of Luke. Now, Luke's the doctor. And any good doctor has a research team. Because they want information. They want to know all they can know about this disease. They want to know how to treat it. But look at Luke chapter 1. Look what it says, how Luke gathered information when he wrote regarding Jesus in the gospel of Luke. Look at Luke chapter 1 in verse 1. It says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were what? What's he say? Eyewitnesses. All right, help me over here on the left. Who were what? Eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. Here's what he said. There was information that was passed down to me. Doc Luke saying, hey, 
There was information passed down to me from people. They were eyewitnesses. I mean, they were there. You might say, well, why would you believe their story then, Luke? Come on, Doc. You just can't take everyone's word and say it's 100% true. Look what it says. Look what it says. With this in mind, Luke said, since I myself have carefully, what? What does it say? Investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. All the Gospels were written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The rest of the New Testament, same way. Carried along by the Holy Spirit, coming from God, using the personality of the author to give us this book. Now, let me just give you a POI point of information, but I think it's very, very special. Where did Jesus get his information when he walked on earth about the Old Testament? Because the New Testament wasn't written yet. He was the New Testament. <laughs> Where did he get his information? Well, during this time, there was a Greek, hear me out, Greek, which is New Testament, translation of the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And if you've ever seen these letters, L-X-X, that's the, that's the understanding, the abbreviation for Septuagint. There is no doubt in my mind that Jesus carried scrolls of the Septuagint of the Old Testament. And so when people would come to him, he had a copy. He would go to it and refer to it. Let me just give you a really, really point of information I think is very unique. In our New Testament, when we go to the story of Joseph, our translation from the Greek text, because it's New Testament, talks about Joseph's robe as a richly ornamented robe. It doesn't say the coat of many colors. We have plays and dramas done on Joseph's coat of many colors. Yet, if you were to grab my Bible and you were to grab yours, and we go to the book of Genesis, and we look, and it says, richly ornamented robe. Like, I don't see coat of many colors. Where'd they get that from? You know where they got it from? They got it from the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew. And in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, they say the coat of many colors. Now, you might say, well, that's a contradiction. No, it isn't. What's the point? The point is this. It was a valuable robe. But Jesus most likely carried the the Greek Septuagint. There were also other Greek writings of the day, which aren't in the Bible. And they won't be, and they shouldn't be. And it's called the Apocrypha. How many have ever heard of the Apocrypha? The Apocrypha is a translation, Greek translation, and it means silent or dark writings. The Catholic Church includes this in their Bible. Let me just say this. This is not the inspired, inerrant word of God, and I'm going to show you in a minute. These were writings of the day in the New Testament. They were Greek writings of the day, and they they were gathered, just good writings. However, because of the influence of men not carried along by God, some have elevated this by saying, if you get a real Catholic Bible, it has the Apocrypha in it. It won't be in our Bible because it's not inspired. It didn't pass the test. And there are stories in, the, in, in, the, in this book, the Apocrypha, that are interesting. And I've read it. One is Bell and the Dragon. Bell and the Dragon is a story about a king who had food, and the people said they placed it out at night, and the people said that God was coming and eating this food, so they kept placing this food out. And this king says, no, 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 no. 
God didn't come and eat that food. So he took ashes from a fire and laid them in his, his kingdom, in his throne room, and placed them out because he knew that someone was coming in and stealing the food. And so the next day, the people came back. The food was gone. And they said, where's the food? God ate the food. He said, no, no. It was the people whose footprints I see in the ashes. Another poor translation that has been taken into the Catholic Church today is this. Many have heard about the term purgatory. And the term purgatory is this. They will say, a true Catholic will say, that when a man or woman dies, he has a second chance to get into heaven. Let me tell you, my Bible and your Bible in Hebrews 9.27 says this, man is destined to die once and face judgment. Purgatory comes from the Apocrypha in the book of Maccabees. And if you were to open up the book of Maccabees, as I have, you will see this passage that says, if you give to the church and you pray for the deceased, that you can help them cover the remission of their sin and you can help them get into heaven. Let me tell you, that is not truth. And so this lost and false doctrine has permeated the church. That's why if you're a true Catholic and your son or daughter leaves the Catholic church, they will look upon you and cut you off because you were their second chance to give to the church and pray them into heaven when they die. Our Bibles are clear. Man's to die once and face judgment. And we're saved by grace through faith. So how do we get this? Pastor Jim, like, then how do we get this book? How do we know what should be in the Bible? Why wasn't this included? Why do we only have 66 books? Why is there 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament? Was there some kind of like, was there some kind of, uh, of testing that took place? Was there final approval? Yes, there was. We refer today, scholars do, as the Bible, as the canon. Not a camera, but spelled the same, canon. C-A-N-O-N. The word canon means measuring rod. It means caliper. It means tolerance. It means it must fit through this. It goes through the inspection and it passed the test. This is the book that's passed the test of God to be his word that he wanted us to have today. It's important that we know that. So how did we, who passed the test? Who was involved, made those decisions? Two very important councils took place. One in 393 and one in 397, the Council of Hippo and the Council of Carthage. Now, I want you to picture, if you can, church fathers of the day. Many, 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 many men in this room. And in this room at the Council of Carthage were thousands and thousands of scrolls. Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. Scroll after scroll that was gathered and God invaded that room because 2 Peter 1.21 says that it wasn't the interpretation of man. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And they began to look at, tedious look at all these scrolls. And there were five things that had to pass. Five criteria that said, if it passes these five, then it is the word of God. Can you imagine a second? You were part, and these church fathers were part spoken from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
And they made a decision based upon these five things. This is how we got these 66 books. The first one is this. Is it authoritative? Did it come from the hand of God? Thus says the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this process. Every single Greek and Hebrew writing went through it. And if one church father said no, it was tossed. The second criteria was this. Is it prophetic? Was it written by a man of God? Someone might say, well, that's really good information. That's an incredible account. And so they asked the question, who wrote it? And if he or she didn't love Yahweh, Jehovah, God, Jesus, and he wasn't or she wasn't a man or woman of God, threw it out. So not only was it information, but they had that character and testimony of following Christ. Thirdly, it was this. Is it authentic? And here's what they use. If in doubt, throw it out. It's a picture. Church father. Someone gets up and read. I have the gospel of John. Now imagine how long it took, by the way, to do that. Because it takes 72 hours to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in a normal speaking manner. 50 hours for the Old Testament, 22 for the New. Imagine, they're reading scroll after scroll. And if anyone around the table said, I don't think so, tossed it out. Scroll after scroll after scroll, the Council of Carthage, thrown out. The fourth criteria was this. Is it dynamic? Did it come with the life-changing power of God? That just blows my mind. So they're reading. Can you picture? And everyone's listening. All of a sudden, they're overcome with the full power of God. Breathe scripture. I bet they were in tears. And one said, that is the word of God. That is the word of God. Full transforming power. The last one. If it didn't, if it made it this far, they had one more. Was it received, collected, read, and used? Was it accepted by the people of God? In other words, were they already down at the Edwards house having a Bible study with it? Were the Silcoxes down in New Paris saying, hey, come on over. We've been studying this cool scroll, and it's in Hebrew, and it's in Greek. And it was already in circulation. If it didn't pass one of those, then it was thrown out. Do you see what it went through to get to us? It didn't stop there. The Bible has been resisted century after century after century after century. Satan hates the word of God. And so the Bible that you and I hold today has went through this incredible persecution, the people who had it. Do you realize this? That in 303 AD, Diocletian, the person behind me on the screen, he ordered that every Christian book be destroyed. He said, if you're a Christian leader, to kill them. And in 303 AD, he said to destroy every copy of the Bible. So if you were having a Bible study and they knew it, they knocked on your door and they just murdered you. He wanted to get rid of Christianity. But praise God that even though he tried to get rid, God's word prevailed and we understand it as the term of the preservation of Scripture. 
Do you realize that in 1229 AD, the Catholic Church at the Council of Toulouse forbade the use of the Bible in the layman's hand. They said we could not interpret it correctly, let the priests do it, so copies were limited. Catholic priests during this time said, don't give the congregants, don't let people who come to this synagogue or this church, don't allow them to have a word because they can't interpret the word of God. So copies were limited. God's word is meant to be in the hands of his followers. Do you realize in 1414 AD that the reading of the English Bible was forbidden? And if you did, you lost your home and you lost your life. Let me ask a question. How many of you would still read it? How many of you would still read God's word today if you knew you could lose your life and you could lose your home that you worked hard to get? I am so grateful for those who stood in the face of death and died because they believed in God's word. Do you realize that in 1539, King Henry VIII behind me requested that the Pope permit him to divorce his wife The Pope refused. King Henry VIII responded by marrying his mistress, later having two of his many wives executed. And listen what he did. And thumbing his nose at the Pope by renouncing Roman Catholicism, taking England out of Rome's religious control and declaring himself as the reigning head of state known as the Anglican Church. Now listen, his first act as the reigning head was to defy the wishes of Rome and the Pope by funding the printing of scriptures in English. Out of spite, the word of God was printed. What man intended for evil, God intended for good. Do you realize that in 1550, Queen Mary, pictured behind me, wanted to return England to the Roman church. She in turn wanted to stop printing the English Bible and had such people as Thomas Rogers burned to the stake, she went on to burn hundreds of reformers, thus giving her the name Bloody Mary. Do you realize that in 1382, John Wycliffe, a name that some of us are familiar with, pictured behind me, wrote the first handwritten copy of the English Bible. With the help of his followers, he produced dozens of others. The Pope was so infuriated with John Wycliffe that 44 years after Wycliffe had died, he ordered his bones dug up, crushed, and scattered into the river. But I got good news that my Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the moment he died, his soul and spirit met Jesus in heaven. And the Bible tells us that the sea will give up its dead. And when the rapture occurs one day, every piece of his body will join his soul and spirit in heaven. Amen? John Huss, in 1415, pictured behind me, carried on the same passion of Wycliffe, that every person should have a Bible in their language. He was burned at the stake with Wycliffe's manuscripts used as kindling to start the fire. 
1517, seven people were burned at the stake for reading the word of God and out loud the Lord's prayer. In 1539, William Tyndale, pictured behind me, most of you are familiar with that name, was burned alive because he translated the Bible into English. In 1435, the printing press, like the one behind me by Gutenberg, books could be mass-produced in Bibles instead of handwritten, which once took months to write and print, are now taking hours. In 1947, one of the greatest finds in human history, a young shepherd boy was chasing his lost sheep and found himself in these caves. And as he entered these caves, he noticed in the caves of Qumran that there were these scrolls that were sticking out of the dust and the sand. So he was curious And he made his way through and grabbed a scroll and took it back. Scholars went back and archaeologists went back and found full copies of Hebrew scrolls of the Old Testament. And scholars, one of which I had the privilege of as a professor in graduate school who who translated the Dead Sea Scrolls, took these scrolls and and translated them from from Hebrew to English. And books and book after book of the Old Testament showed from these scrolls that were found that were anciently old, match word for word the Bible we have today. First Peter chapter 1. Don't turn there. Just listen, and I'll close with this thought. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever and ever. You see, my hope is this. That a thousand years from now, there will be this group of Christ followers if time should tarry and God would allow us to continue way past us. We'll say there were these group of believers in 2017 that were willing not to let the word of God be lost. And they continually believed it, studied it, and spoke it. My hope is that we never, ever diminish down the power and authority of the Scripture and replace it with anything else. So here's what I want to do in closing. Here in the main, in the link, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read a passage in closing, and I want you to read it out of gratitude. In Ephesians, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 14 through 21. Pastor John is over in the link, but here's what I want to do here. I would love for you to join me in this. You can read from there, but I'd love to have a whole gob of people on stage just to read God's word. Would you join me? Bring your Bibles, bring your mobile devices, and just join me as we read God's word. Would you just join me? Just up on stage. It could be 50, it could be 100, I, I don't care. It could be the whole congregation, I don't care. And over in the link, you'll join Pastor John. 
But turn, everyone, please. Please, open up your own Bible, your own mobile device, and just come in around me, come close around me, squeeze in here, let's all come together. You can move forward, just move on up. Let's read. Ephesians chapter 3, and everyone out here, read it also, please. But here's how I want you to read it. I want you to think about those who gave their lives and were willing to stand in the face of death and say, I believe the word of God. And I want you to think about how God has given us his word, carried along by the Holy Spirit. And today we hold the inspired, inerrant word of God, his message to us. So I'll start, then I'll tune out. And give it your best. We're not reading the Goshen News, we're reading God's word. So read it like you believe it. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.